Welcome to the Resilience Podcast. I'm Kobe Greer. According to Beyond Blue, grief is a natural response to loss. It might be the loss of a loved one, relationship, pregnancy, pet, job, or even way of life. Other experiences of loss may be due to children leaving home, infertility, and separation from friends and family. Grief is unique and everyone experiences grief differently. It may be expressed in many different ways and impact every part of your life, your emotions, thoughts and behaviour, beliefs, physical health, your sense of self and identity and your relationships with others. Today I welcome Badanka, abbreviated to Bo, Wagner Figliomene an EAP counsellor from Access Wellbeing Services to discuss this common human experience that is not so often spoken about in Western society. Welcome, Bo. Thank you, Colby, for the beautiful warm welcome. <laughs> Pleasure to be here. Thanks. Bo was born in Czech Republic and came to Australia at the age of three. She has spent time living in both Czech Republic and Australia over the course of her life. Bo's personal experiences largely contributed towards the direction of her studies and thus counselling became a profession and a calling. In the initial stages of her career, she worked in separation services as a family dispute resolution practitioner, where she recognised that through her role as a child inclusive practitioner, working with children and young people was her passion. As an extension of her passion, Bo published a children's book called Messages for Children. Bo then worked for nearly a decade in suicide prevention and specialised in working with adolescents and young people experiencing challenges with anxiety, depression, self-esteem, relationship and grief and loss issues. So Bo, Everyone experiences many losses throughout life, but the death of a loved one is profound. What do you think may be beneficial for our listeners to know about what to expect after the death of a loved one? Thanks, Kobe. That's a really good question, and I really liked the um, information you found on Beyond Blue. I think that's a really nice definition of grief. Um, I think what's really, I guess, important to understand is that human beings, um, loss of a loved one is probably one of the most painful events that we can go through in life. Absolutely. Um, and it's a very emotional time and it's normal to experience a variety of emotions. Um, when I've worked in counselling, a lot of people come, you know, fearful that there's something wrong with them or that they're actually, in their own words, going crazy. Yes. Um, because it can be such an emotional roller coaster ride. Um, and it's also something that's not necessarily discussed in our society. So people aren't prepared of what to, I guess, expect. And um, in a lot of areas of counselling and in life, we are taught a whole lot of strategies to manage various situations. And I guess grief is one of those times in our lives where we often have to put our strategies to the side. And I think that's what makes uh, grief such a different time in our lives. Yes. Yeah. And I guess to understand grief, um, when, when it really does make sense, doesn't it? When we look at the nature of attachment, 
when a baby is born, um, a strong attachment is developed with a parent. And later in life, we develop strong attachments with other people that we love very dearly and deeply. Mm. And so the loss of a loved one is a loss of that attachment. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I guess coming to terms with that is probably one of the hardest experiences that we can go through in life. Mm. Mm. And I guess Tolstoy, I love a quote from Tolstoy because he puts it beautifully in a quote, though, in relation to grief and loss. And he says, only people who are capable of loving strongly can also suffer great sorrow. But this same necessity of loving serves to counteract their grief and heals them. Mm, that's beautiful. Yeah. That is beautiful. Yeah. And there's no, as you say, there's no strategy. Like when we think of stress or when we think of workplace conflict or we can put strategies in place to help manage our uh, whether it be emotional regulation or, you know, just a ways of um, keeping our, you know, switching on our calm, let's say. But, yeah, you hit the nail on the head. There's no strategies and it's so individualised when it comes to grief, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. It's very individualised. And I think what, what is helpful is um, for human beings, we do like to understand what's going on for us. So when we have a framework that can really help us understand what's going on for us. So what happens is sometimes when people lose someone for the first time, they don't have a framework because it's not something that we're necessarily taught. Mm -hmm. And I guess this is where we can be very grateful for some of the um, wonderful theorists who have come together with some frameworks to actually help us understand uh, the process of what grief kind of involves. Yes. And as you're saying, it's never identical for the same two people because every person is different every relationship with a human being is different so every grief experience will be different but there are some commonalities and that's what I think it might be helpful for our listeners to know is there are commonalities so that when you're starting to feel these things you're actually going oh that's my grief yeah. that's my grief um, and so I will quote the work of Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, mm. who was one of the pioneers of grief work. And her work has been criticised over the years um, and challenged in different ways. Um, but I think what's important to understand is that when she did develop her stages of grief, she was working with dying patients in a hospital setting and observing. Mm. And through those observations came through her stages. And later in her work, she did say they're not necessarily... Um, in order, so to speak, like, you know, anger isn't necessarily the second stage because as human beings we're all so different, it can look differently, mm. but there are some commonalities that we will experience and I think that's what the main point of her work was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And what were those five, those five, just the five stages, just for sure, listeners? Sure, sure, yeah. So um, Elizabeth postulates that denial is one of the first stages of grief mm. where we're in absolute disbelief and shock where we can't believe this is happening to me, um, this can't be real. Um, searching is a real normal part of the process, like searching and pining, um, wanting what we've lost back. Yes. Um, it's very hard to come to terms with the reality of what's happening around us and we can actually feel really, really numb. Mm. It can feel like a dreamlike state and you're kind of waiting to wake up. When is someone gonna pinch me and when am I gonna wake up from this horrible dream? Mm. And I guess this stage, what it does, it actually serves a protective mechanism. Because if we were to feel the overwhelming loss in one hit, 
we may not be able to cope with that. Yeah, it'd be hard to function, wouldn't it? Absolutely. So it's like nearly our uh, our mind and body's way of actually creating um, a position within ourselves that allows us actually for the reality of the situation to slowly sink in rather than be hit with it. Mm. Mm. Um, so it is very normal for people to start in this phase searching for old photos or needing facts because all of those things kind of help in the process of coming to terms with the reality of what's happened. Mm. Mm. Um, and denial does subside over time. And generally after denial, anger may emerge. And so often people are uh, um, sometimes enter into counselling um, saying, I can't stop feeling angry. And it's very normal when you've lost someone to feel angry, depending on how they died. You might be angry at doctors. Mm -hmm. You might be angry at friends. Mm -hmm. You might be angry at the person who was involved in the death of a loved one. There are so many reasons a person can feel angry. Mm -hmm. And often, I guess as well, in society, we're taught to not necessarily always express our anger. Yes. And this can also be a complicating factor in this stage that people sometimes don't feel like they have permission to express their anger. Yeah. And with expressing, I'm not saying behaving in a way and reacting. I'm saying actually feeling the anger and knowing that that's normal and that's okay and it's normal to have angry thoughts. Yes, yes, yeah. Yeah. Particularly if it's towards the, the deceased person. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Because there could be thoughts like, why didn't, I'm angry at you for not taking better care of yourself. Yes, exactly. For you leaving know, me. For leaving me yes. alone to have to deal with myself with this pain. Exactly. So yeah. it's very normal to experience um, anger even towards the deceased person, as you're saying. Yeah. Very yeah. normal to experience that. And it's great that there's this opportunity to, um, for, you to be normalising these experiences, Bo, because I think that's part of the, the craziness that some people feel, you know, yes. or that sense of being out of control when it comes to Absolutely, uh, deep grief. I agree with you. I think it's, mm. you know, that's that what happens is then it's like a, a conflict or a battle within ourselves. I feel this way, but I shouldn't be feeling this way. How can I be angry with my loved one who's not here anymore? It's not their fault but it's just a natural reaction because really what's underneath the anger is actually pain. Yes, yes. And this is the healing. This is the healing, mm. absolutely. Mm. So that's why anger is actually a necessary step in the process. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I guess it's really important for people to know this because sometimes we can suppress our feelings and then end up stuck in our grief. Um, and that's why I guess I really encourage people, no matter what they're feeling, to know that their feelings can't really hurt them. What we do with those feelings can, but our actual feelings are really important in the process of grief to experience. Yeah, and that's where a support person can be helpful, whether it be yes. a loved one or a counsellor or just to hold that space. Absolutely. for them to express themselves authentically. Absolutely. So yes, I do believe when people find themselves stuck in their grief experience, some people go through the stages of grief and feel like they've grieved and can move on with life. But, you know, um, as we were saying, all situations are different. And I always do encourage people if they're starting to feel like they're stuck and don't know what to do with all of those feelings or feel like they're not moving through, it can be really helpful to speak to someone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
after anger, it's very common for bargaining uh, to occur. Um, and during this phase, there's a lot of pleading, wishing, and promises can come to the surface. I promise I'll be good if that person can come back. I promise I won't ever hurt anyone again. I promise I'll treat them better. I promise I'll never argue with them again. So these are all common things to kind of know that do arise to the surface and that's okay too. Mm. And then Elizabeth Kubler-Ross describes uh, the next step in the process as depression. And depression often, as we know, uh, we're taught to come up with all kinds of strategies to overcome depression, manage depression, so we can function, etc. Um, in the context of grief, um, it's really important to understand that it's a natural state and not something that can be stamped out for a period of time. Um, and because what it really does is it helps us to slow down, rebuild ourselves, and it can often take us to deep places within ourselves that we may not usually go. Absolutely, and, and I think it's this stage, um, Bo, where it's important for listeners to know that this is a natural stage of grief. Yes. It doesn't necessarily mean that they have a diagnosis of depression or clinical depression and need to be medicated, or but that it's a natural stage that you know, with support, um, the listener can go through that, through that phase and be held, you know, with a counsellor or with a, or with a loved one. Yes. But just to kind of normalise that stage, because I know through my experience in counselling that some people feel, have been confused by that depression stage mm -hmm. where it hasn't been recognised as a stage of grief and um, the importance of feeling through it and going to those deeper levels as you have just shared rather than being medicated in that stage and missing out on that um, their deeper healing really. Yes, yeah. because it's that this is the phase where for a period of time we are allowed to slow down. Mm. We're actually allowed and need to give ourselves permission to slow down, to get our energy back so that we can then move forward again. Yes. But the stopping is necessary yes. to go. Yes. So we need to stop to be able to go. And I guess as you were saying, sometimes it can be quite complicated during this stage because sometimes um, well-meaning people may make comments like, oh, come on, it's time for you to get out and go do something. It's time for you to be social. That's going to make you feel better. Mm -hmm. And that may be the case in a few months' time. But at the mo you know, in the early, particularly in the early stages of grief, Sometimes we just need to actually be on our, on our own for a period of time and actually process where we're at. And generally we will know when we're ready to start reconnecting again socially. Mm. Yeah. So it is about, as you're saying, it's about honouring our own personal experience and journey. Yes. Um, and, you know, allowing ourselves the permission to sometimes stop for a period of time, knowing fully well that we will be at back in society and we will be active again. But sometimes it's actually giving ourselves permission not to buy into that pressure for a period of time. Because, as we were saying, it's one of the hardest experiences to go through in life. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. 
So, Bo, as we live in a world where often people need to return to work or have other obligations such as children, is there anything people can do to move towards the acceptance stage more quickly? Yeah, really good question, Colby. And, I, you know, there, every, I guess, again, we're all different. So as human beings will respond to a loss differently. And some people will actually be okay in allowing the stages to occur and allowing their own pace. But other people may actually want to find ways to um, be socially active again more quickly. Or they may be in a position where actually they can't afford the time to be uh, immersed in their grief for a long period of time. They might have young children. Uh, they might have to return to work, you know, be in a situation where they can't take leave. So, you know, based on that, I do understand that for some people it's really important to go, what can I do actually to maybe help myself move forward a bit more quickly? Um, and I guess this is where uh, the tasks of grief um, can be helpful. Um, so Warden, William Warden speaks about tasks of grief and he speaks about that the first task is to accept the reality of the loss. Um, and I guess this can involve um, in human society what we do have, what we've evolved, oh, to say that again, what we've developed in Western society is funerals. So attending a funeral, going through the process, um, actually helps us come to terms with the reality of the loss because it becomes a factual event, I guess, that we're attending and observing with our own eyes. Um, and any other traditional rituals um, can kind of support that process as well. Um, I guess secondly, the second task of grief is to work through the pain of the grief. So as we were describing the stages then, Colby, mm -hmm. um, Sometimes people talk about grief, but the next stage of grief is always to emotionally experience the grief. Because we can really get it intellectually sometimes first. The person's gone, they're not coming back. This is what's happened. I'm feeling that, you know, angry, I'm feeling this. But grief does require us to go into our emotions. So by, as we were speaking, you know, allowing ourselves the time to express these emotions, not necessarily having to lie in bed all day, I'm saying sometimes it's really helpful 10 minutes at night or in the morning before I go to work or just finding a space and a time um, where I allow myself some grief time. So actually allocating some time, at, but yeah. Yeah, allocating some time mm. because I've often found if we don't allocate the time, grief will catch up with us in places and spaces where we're not prepared for it and where we actually don't want it to occur. So in that way, Makes we can sense. be proactive. Great, great. Yeah. Um, the third task of grief is um, adjusting to an environment um, in which the deceased is missing. And I guess this is like all the external adjustments that we have to make, where someone who has played such a large role in our life mm -hmm. um, is no longer there. Um, and that person may have also fulfilled some tasks for us, like taking care of the finances or you know, they may have been someone that we would always speak to when we had a problem, and all of a sudden, that person isn't there anymore. So it takes time to adjust to that new environment. Absolutely. And I guess what can be helpful for us as human beings, if we can find some ways to start thinking about what might be, what else we could possibly do, who else we could speak to, or taking maybe some time to become aware of our finances and how we want to manage them. So kind of upskilling ourselves or finding people who we can go to and ask for help can be really helpful during this period of time. For sure.
um, and I guess the last task of grief is to emotionally relocate the deceased and move on, move on with life. And that's finding a way to keep them alive and their memory alive without their physical presence. And so it's about finding a way, I guess, that we can um, create some traditions, um, some rituals in how we honour the persons who's no longer here so that, that we feel like they're still alive and a part of, part of us. However, also then hopefully be able to start moving towards moving on with our lives. It's very norm normal also during this phase for some guilt to arise. How come I'm moving on with life now? You know, that feels a bit selfish. You know, they're not here. But it is important that to understand that guilt can be irrational mm. and it can pop up mm. and kind of slow us down a bit and that's just normal. That's part of the process as well. Yeah. I know I'm thinking of um, the work of Lorraine Hentkin. I'm sure I've pronounced that incorrectly. <laughs> but um, she speaks about bringing the deceased into conversation so that that person or that pet, um, uh, that child, whatever that might be, um, is still alive in our memories, in even our daily activities, still having conversations about that person. And so, um, you know, that, that term oh, where some people may say, oh, you know, it's time you get over it. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I'm curious about your, your thoughts about that in regard to it's one thing to move forward, but I'm a great believer it's, it's not about getting over anything. No, no. It's about integrating and, and yeah, being absolutely. part of it. I, I like your word, it's about integrating. Mm -hmm. It's about how we honour, you know, someone who meant so much to us mm -hmm. and move on with life but with them. Yes. Yes, and yes. I think that's what you're saying where... You know, we can have a photo up in our lounge room and when we walk past, we can speak to them. Yes. You know, thanks for your help with this today. I felt like, you know, I got that job promotion today because you were with me. Mm -hmm. You know, so we, we, it's really important for us as human beings to find ways to keep someone alive that works for us. And not, not to being afraid of judgment of other people. You know, because if it works for us and we find a, pl a place and a space for that person in our hearts, even though it might sound strange, but I'm always a great believer you, It's with grief, it's very hard to understand it mm. unless you've actually experienced it. Yeah. And then the things that you may perceive to be different yeah. um, become quite normal. Absolutely. Like I know when my dad died, I wore his socks for six months after his <laughs> passing. <laughs> I was just compelled to do that. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, there can be just some yes. stuff that might be strange right. to one, but yes. this is what I needed to do. It sounds like you found a strategy that soothed you. Exactly. And that's what we're talking about, I guess. We're finding strategies to help that soothe us, to make us feel closer. Um, so, I, I really like that example. <laughs> <laughs> so, Bo, for parents in relation to parenting... Is there ways in which we can teach our children about grief and loss? That's another really good question, Toby. And um, it's, it's actually, we can. I really believe we can. I, I believe we can really start at a young age. And it's often, um, we can really start through pets. 
when our children have a goldfish, or when we have a bird, or when we have a family dog, and the pet dies. And, you know, it's about how we honour that experience for our child. So we can actually role model from a young age about what to expect from grief um, and start validating it for children. So we can say things like, I'm so sorry you lost your pet fish. I know he meant a lot to you and you were good friends and you had good chats together. How hard that is. And if you see your child angry, it could be no wonder you're angry. It's part of grief because you've just lost your fish buddy. Um, so yeah, there's all oh. these ways that we can actually really validate our children and prepare them for the for the stages. Mm -hmm. And when you have that experience as a child, when you're quite when you're young, uh, it kind of gives you that framework that we were talking about initially for when you're older. So you're kind of already knowing what grief involves. And I guess the reality is in life, um, we're all going to lose pets, uh, people who are important to us through the course of our life. Mm. And so. If we can be prepared in some way for what to expect, mm. then it can often feel less scary. Yeah, and that, I love that permission giving, isn't it? A, a parent giving their child space to, to feel, to connect with their emotions and to... Yes, Let, let's have a funeral. Yeah. Let's acknowledge. Mm. Um, so it's all these small things that we can do for children by role modelling to them when they're young. We can actually really teach them to honour their experience of grief yeah. versus suppressed grief. Yeah, I love that. I love that. So if I'm aware that a colleague in a workplace has lost a loved one, how how would I how would I position myself in relationship to that? It can be very difficult, I think, sometimes, Colby, because I think, you know, um, if sometimes you haven't had the experience of losing a loved one, mm. it can feel really... Uh, you might be afraid speaking to a colleague at work, I'm going to make them feel more pain or I'm going to say the wrong thing or I'm going to somehow make this worse for them. Mm. Um, in my experience, often people just need a simple acknowledgement um, because then that also moves away from having to avoid someone, for example, which is something that sometimes people can feel very isolated in their grief experience if they pe feel people are avoiding. Um, and I guess it's that fine balance again. Uh, I'm a great believer that in terms of an acknowledgement, in terms of saying, I'm really sorry for your loss, um, the person may respond with, I really don't want to talk about it. And that's okay. Uh, but you've been able to say what you felt like you've needed to say and therefore it's been acknowledged. So I think that can be very helpful as a first step. Yes, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And this is just helping with them connecting back into the workplace. and Yes, yes. And it can be something, depending on the nature of the relationship with the person as well, obviously that's a factor. Um, but it can be something like, you know, let me know if there's anything I can help with. I know you've been through a tough time. Beautiful. So these are just some simple ways that we can help someone kind of return to the workplace, be grounded, knowing that people are aware of what's happened. Um, and they might not need anything, but just it's it's having those conversations, I guess, so that there's... Uh, otherwise, it can create sometimes an elephant in the room, so to speak. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, true, true, Bo. <laughs> so if I'm the person experiencing grief after the loss of a loved one, how can I work and take care of myself? 
So this is an important yeah. aspect as well. It is, because we're all in different situations in life, um, at, with or without children, with or without work. So we're all in different situations, I guess. Mm. But I think what's common for all of us in a grief experience is that it's really important to find even small ways to take care of ourselves. So I'm aware that sometimes there are people who do need to return straight to work, that they may not be in a position where they can spend time at home and allow their grief to um, take its course, so to speak. And I guess this is where we spoke previously about finding time for grief. I've worked with people who sometimes utilise their lunch break. They'll go sit on a bench in a park. They'll allow themselves to cry mm -hmm. for 10, 15 minutes and go back to work. Um, so this might work for someone, for someone else they might be fearful, oh my gosh, if I start crying I won't stop and that's fair enough. So you might choose to allocate your time to the evening to do that once your children are in bed and once things are quiet. Mm -hmm. And just even going through old photos can help, just really spending time and asking yourself the question, what does my grief need from me today? Yeah. A, a very simple but such a profound question. Absolutely, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and I guess, you know, sometimes it can be really helpful if you are returning to work to maybe contact your manager or have a chat to them to advise what's happened so that there can be maybe some consideration for when you're coming back to work. So that can be another self-care strategy is that just that communication about where I'm at. Mm. Um, taking breaks at work, uh, finding some quiet space sometimes, 10 minutes in between, um, you know, uh, that again. <laughs> yeah. no, uh, finding space and time during during breaks at work is really important. Yes. Creating a little routine in, even in the morning mm -hmm. for yourself. If meditation is your thing, if reading is your thing, um, just maybe finding a little strategy to start your day. Yeah. yeah. Lovely. So it kind of leads me to our final question is the, um, the difference between an intellectual and an emotional acceptance of grief yeah so it's very there is a difference because mm -hmm. on an intellectual uh, level we can accept that this has really happened uh, very rational brain very rational through, <laughs> exactly that's a beautiful way to put it through the rational brain through the rational brain mm -hmm. and that's very common and normal for a lot of people in the first phase of grief yeah. and often they people think oh I'm done, I feel good, I'm back to life. And in my experience, often people have then returned to counselling and they're actually in that second stage where the emotions are actually really, they're actually moving into an, um, their emotional grief. And so we could say one hasn't grieved until emotional grieving has occurred. And I guess this is where I encourage sometimes people based on their life experiences, early childhood trauma, um, some really tough situations in life, can get stuck in their grief where it's very hard to go there and kind of uh, proceed with their grief mm -hmm. into their emotions. And I guess this is the part where I do encourage people to create maybe that one hour per week for themselves to attend to see a counsellor where they have an hour space to reflect, to put things into place um, and to really have someone listening and supporting and possibly helping them become unstuck from their grief. Mm -hmm. because. When the processing doesn't happen, it can show up in other ways. And as we were saying before, they can uh, grief, uh, grief experience can start, but it can a clinical depression can follow when grief is unresolved. And this is what I think is important for our listeners to understand that 
in terms of grief, when we do the work mm. and sometimes with the support of someone, we can move on with life. But if we become stuck, it can show up in different ways later. And that's why it's important um, to observe what's going on for us and reach out if we feel like um, we're not moving forward with it. Yes. Yeah, no, that's the, that's the, a really strong uh, differentiation there, Bo. Because if we remain in that intellectual grief pattern... It is sort of avoiding the actual pain of the loss. Correct. And this is the the, the true healing and the yes. um, which helps us in moving forward. Yes. Yes. And it's amazing how our psyche is actually propense towards healing. Just like when we cut our skin and it heals over, we are actually very fortunately um, gifted with this amazing capacity to heal within ourselves through grief. Mm. Um, unfortunately, we're not necessarily taught that. So as human beings, we have ways of sometimes stopping the process. Yeah. And so I guess what I'm encouraging is if anyone is observing that their process is somehow um, hindered in some way, it can be really beneficial to go and seek some professional support. Wonderful. It's been such a pleasure speaking with you today, Bo. Yeah, thank, thank you, you so much for your time. My pleasure.